Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Zach Giglio. Zach is a communications expert with more than a decade of experience in public relations, public affairs, marketing, and both digital and social media. He has worked for the largest public relations agency in the world in both Washington, D.C. and Johannesburg. And he's also worked as an independent contractor. Today, Zach is the CEO of his own boutique communications room. And we are going to be talking all about how you can recover from a crisis. Now, before you turn this off, I want you to know that crisis isn't necessarily that big, bad thing that we see in the news. It could also be a mistake, a misstep, or maybe something that you know that's broke trust that you need to recover from. So enjoy as Zach shares his tips on what to do to recover from a crisis. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode, I'm sitting down with the CEO of GCM, Zach Giglio. Zach, thanks so much for joining us today on The Leadership Habit. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So you're a CEO. You have a fantastic business. I know in our pre-call, we just went in so many different directions in terms of leadership, what you can do. But for our listeners, could you just talk a little bit about your story, how you came to be? Because today we're going to be talking about how do you recover from a crisis? And some people might be thinking, well, I'm not in a crisis moment, but a crisis could be even a small mistake that you make to a consumer to all the way of the big ones where we have to rebuild trust. So as you're listening to Zach, Zach's going to give insights from his experience, but he has great experience and background and knowledge in terms of helping you make sure that you're doing the right things in that point of crisis, mistake, whatever we want to call it, to make sure that you are rebuilding trust, to make sure that you are connecting, and of course, rebuilding the image that you might have as a leader or an organization. So Zach, yeah, let's kick it off. How did you become to be? Like, How did you get into this line of work? Um, What's your background and experience? Please share with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. And I am looking forward to talking about the crisis, and that's a good point I get into it about people think crisis, they think it's just like massive thing that has to happen. But, you know, it also refers to those smaller things, which could eventually turn into that massive thing that you don't want to if you don't deal with it. So that's a good point. And I think I think it's good for people to remember that. Um, so, you know, I don't know what it was like. There's, I try to lo- like put logic behind, like, how did I get into comms? Um, and it's really hard for me to think about, except when I was younger, people always said I should be a lawyer. I, I never really had that much difficulty finding some common ground with people when I was talking to them about something. So whether I was telling them a story or an argument or disagreement, I always loved being able to like reach people on some human level where I felt like we left seeing eye to eye. And that was even as a kid, if I was getting in trouble for something, you know, I got like a bad grade on the test or you know something way worse, um, you know. Um, so I, I, I always liked that. People said I should be a lawyer, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, it just never felt right. And so I felt like the next logical thing was somehow getting into communication so I could tell stories for a living, figure out how to, to communicate messages in a way that resonated with people. Um, and so I got started with that, and, 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 and that's what I ended up falling in love doing. And I think the other combination of that, and I've had the privilege of being able to travel, live, and work around the world. So I'm from Long Island, New York, but I've also lived and worked in, in around Shanghai in, in China, in Johannesburg, South Africa, in Washington, D.C. for a while. And now we're in the Charleston area in South Carolina. And something that was a constant that was really strong for me um, was the power that human connection made on my memory, on my life, and on where my life was going after those moments, whether it was from China back to 
um, DC or DC over to South Africa and, and, and things. And, and I realized after, especially starting in my professional career, that nothing happened of significance that wasn't based on some sort of strong human level connection. Um, and so when we were deciding to go out on our own and, and to do our own thing with GCM, my wife and I was my business partner who I met in China and did most of these travels with me, and she's from South Africa. Um, we, we decided that we wanted to create these human connections that we've had the fortune of having, but just on a much larger scale with large businesses so we can maximize businesses' ability or anybody's ability to create those human connections, which again, we know moves that needle. And so GCM is a family-founded global comms agency. We believe in the power of business as a force for good um, and, and in human connection. And we get to know our clients from the inside out, and we create thoughtful communications and marketing campaigns that we think uh, resonate on a human level. Yes. And that's what's so important these days. I think from a consumer perspective, it is really hard when you feel like you're being sold something without even them seeing you in the equation. I mean, I even think about just the one-off, maybe LinkedIn conversations. I'm so reluctant to sometimes even accept a new request because I know that it could potentially unleash the, I've, someone else shared this, this phrase, pitch slapping, or you might get networked on where they just, you know, go into your email box and don't even think about you as a human. And I think so many people are so, I I get it. They've got great products, great services, but yet the gap that they can't bridge is that human communication piece or that human connection piece. And that's what I think is so important about what GCM does, because you can't just try to promote your service. And we know that, but then again, if we know it, why the heck am I receiving these very awkward LinkedIn requests if you know that it's all about building trust and being real? I mean, I don't know if you have any take on that. It's still interesting that I think we that piece of genuine human connection is missing in some of those platforms that we have to use. And that makes me just kind of want to you know, avoid or not work with someone because they're not treating me or seeing me as an individual. They're seeing me as someone that could buy their service. Yeah, I, I don't think I can say it better than basically the way you just said it, quite honestly. And I might actually steal some of the language that you used because you've put like a really good, like a really fine point on it. And that's exactly like when something's happening to us, we we feel it's like we we do not control in any situation in our life the feelings we have when something happens to us. Like scientifically, like like we don't control those feelings. We can control what we do with that, but we don't control those feelings. And we know somewhere at a deep level, like when we're not, to your point, being considered as a human, we're, when we're being networked on, which is such a, such a funny phrase. Um, we, but but, but it's, it's completely true. And, then, and, and a lot of times, the, the worst thing, especially going back to this LinkedIn thing, is when it is, it's so forced in the pitches, but it is, it is templatized in a way that is supposed to like sound human as if it's like talk. And I'm like, it just, it, it, it's, it's like, at least if you're doing a numbers game, yeah. like if it was me, I would be like, look, I have no idea who you are. I just Googled you or searched you because you're the CEO or you're some company and, and my business like survives on a numbers game. So I'm sending as many of these out there as, like, as possible, hoping that you need my service. I would look at that and be like, that's awesome. That is totally true and authentic. You're not considering me, but at least you're acknowledging that. Yes. Like that's rather than being like, hey, I really love what you're doing at insert company name. <laughs> like, like there's so many times where I get I get messages where it's like, 
I'm not going too far off. I just really like what you brought up because I thought about this so much too, and it happens to me all the time. Where they're like, "Hey, just wondering if you're ready for a change and kind of getting tired at your work at GCM." And I'm like, I founded it. It's my, it's my company. Like, it's not, like, what do you like? When you could, I'm like, gonna get another job? Like, that's not that's not how that works. But um, but but you raise a good point, and like in all seriousness, that is the problem with it. Is like we're not being treated as as humans. And I, I don't know how much that stuff works. Um, but when we're not being treated as humans, when the language isn't resonating with us on a human level, we're just not going to do anything with it. I just, that's what I love about your organization and what you're trying to do, because I would appreciate if someone honestly did come at me and say, Hey, I know we don't know you at all. I know we've never worked together. I would love to get to know more about you, but it's not, Hey, did you have time to check out my blank, blank, blank that I sent you that you didn't ask for? No, I didn't because I didn't need it. Um, And also, yes, everyone else, you know, and I, I get the sense of having that system and that customizable message. That's a quick, like copy paste, you know, you can, the numbers game piece, but everyone's doing that now. That message is the exact same. Really appreciate the work that you do really blank, blank, blank. Like those messages are everywhere. And it just makes me again, want to avoid that. So I think it's so important that GCM is taking the stance of like, how can we actually build these authentic connections? Because that's what I feel like Crosscom does as leaders. Like how can we actually show people to be the best leader, to connect at a deep level, to, you know, create an inclusive environment. And so I think it's so important. And we're going to be talking about today, like how do you recover from a crisis, which is actually a topic that, you know, I know that you can do that because that's, you know, part of what GCM does as well in terms of how do you inspire those human connections? How do you rebuild that human connection when it might've been lost? Because we might've made missteps as a leader, right? You might've maybe went all in on a strategy that then you realized wasn't a great fit and you have to rebuild trust, or maybe you've maybe broken trust with your customer and you're trying to rebuild, or maybe there was a bigger public scandal or misstep that hit the headlines or current events. And you really need to do some deep, I guess, public relations on managing that image. So you don't drop your market share. So no matter where you are in the organization, this is an important topic. How do you recover from a crisis? How do you require recover from a mistake? Like that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I think it's one that is not always talked about probably because it's uncomfortable because typically yeah. if you attach the word crisis, it means that there might be some feelings on it or points of view. And so how do you even begin to address that question, right? You Typically the people that are coming to you to say, how do I recover from a crisis are likely in crisis mode, they're not proactively thinking and planning. How can I actually make sure I manage these things if they go awry? Oh yeah, it's it's it, it, crisis is like the hardest service to sell because you ideally want to sell it and start doing like working in crisis before, to your point, a crisis happens. Because one, you should be doing like an audit, like where are the crisis like like potentials? How do we plan for that? Are there things that maybe we or you should be doing a little bit more or we're a little bit less of because we don't really want that to happen? Like there, there's a lot of times where the comms industry can lead on like really important structural change within an organization just by going because they might not like it, it's not to your point like oh maybe you've made a mistake, but like if you're not leading hard enough or if you're not like going out there and, and and doing enough then you might not make a mistake but you sh- i think people can see making mistakes as a good sign that they're growing that they're taking chances that they're trying things um 
Because if you're not making mistakes, then maybe you're being a little bit too conservative and like you're not trying enough or you're not putting yourself out there enough. So it, like, it will happen. Like at 100%, you will make a mistake on some level, whether it's you or your entire organization. But I think it is very normal for, for people within an organization to be a little bit more blind to, uh, or it's harder for them to see maybe where some of those mistakes actually are. And so by working with a con professional before a crisis happens, you can start maybe sussing that stuff out. But when a crisis happens or when something's wrong, it's, it's also like, even in the moment you would think, okay, well, we're an organization that understands we're having a crisis and we need to do something about it. We need to start communicating. We need to change some things. But even then, like within organizations, it's very common for not everybody to be on the same same page in an organization on whether or not there's even a crisis happening and whether or not there even needs to be a plan. I mean, like that is like the first step. It's not like, oh, we have a crisis. What do we do? It's like we have a crisis, right? Right. Like this is actually a problem that we need to be working on, right? Um, I mean, I was in a conversation not like like a week or so ago and there was an alignment and we couldn't help them. Because half the people thought there was a crisis and that they should do something, and the other half didn't think it was significant. I thought it was very significant. <laughs> and how <laughs> you know? challenging to have that. I mean, and we know that in leaders and organizations, different points of view, different perspectives, and and how difficult to try and help when you can't have consensus. I want to quick back up just to people that might be unfamiliar or less exposed when Zach is saying comms industry, communications industry. So if you would say communications industry in a different way, like would you describe that as more like brand, public relations? How would you describe that to someone that might be outside of that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good that's a good point. And I'll, I'll remember to, to be a little bit more descriptive. But so, com- so comms depends on which part in. Like we, GCM, are full service comms agencies. So we do everything. So within comms in our purview is public relations. So that could be like media pitching, um, messaging, um, um, interviews, things like that. Or it could be social media. So that could be content production, design, community management. It could be crisis communications, which by the way, crisis communications also what would fall under that is like a pandemic hits and a CEO of a very large organization needs to inform like its employees of a change or something bad happening or something, you know, just like sales are going down or facilities are closing. Like that's crisis as well. Like it's nothing that it's not just like someone's done something wrong. Um, and then also I mean, we do like report writing and design, all that stuff. So like in, in our world, it's calm. Some people call that marketing. So we say communications and marketing, depending on, depending on where you are. The only thing I would say it's, slightly not is like advertising, but even advertising has a lot to do with comms, but there's just a little bit more of a specific skill set for advertising because you have to understand kind of like the back end of advertising where 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 comms is like and comms also has branding and, and workshops and things like that. So if there's something that needs to be communicated, that's comms. Okay. Thank you for it. I appreciate that because it gives me a better perspective too. I feel like I can actually observe the the true like robustness of that industry. So going back to the, how do you recover from a crisis? I like that thinking like, can you even gain consensus on whether or not a crisis is happening? I mean, going back to that conversation, because yeah, what what do you do if uh, if someone can't come to agreement about the crisis? Then I feel like, 
what are you doing? Are you either crossing your fingers and hoping it doesn't actually go up to something else or you're just kind of like, okay, well, we'll see. I mean, I don't, what have you seen happen? And we're going to get into like where you need to start. Um, but so that's going to be shortly, but I'm curious, like, how do they even resolve that? What do you see potentially happen when they can't reach consensus? So, so if they, if they truly can't reach consensus, depending on who's calling the final shot, it could very well be that nothing happens that you've had a conversation, you've made a recommendation on this is how I would start dealing with this situation. Maybe we should start doing this. Maybe there should be a direct call there, you know, five or or six different things. But the answer at the end of the day could be like, we don't think this is a crisis and we don't want to react to it because they, they might see it as distracting from a bigger picture, which I get that. Like I get that. And that is a very strong balance, quite honestly, that a crisis communications professional professional and their team need to need to strike, which is how do you respond to a crisis publicly or even privately in a way that is not knocking you completely off what, what your entire comms and business strategy is anyway? Because you don't want that to happen. Now, there are some crises that are so great that actually you do need to halt everything and address it. 90, probably 90, 99% of all crises, you don't need to stop your entire business organization and all of your other communications. You just may want to. So like, for instance, let's say like, let's say you had like a disgruntled employee who was slandering the company saying that things that were untrue about with the way, like the fabric you used in your shirts, like, mm. And they're going online saying it's a lie. It's not all this. It's actually something else. One strategy you you could do as a proactive comms thing is not you don't want to directly if it's not true. I mean, if it's true, you need to get your stuff together. But if it's if it's not true, you know you don't necessarily want to give credence to the disgruntled employee for spreading lies. But you also have to understand that there's a possibility that some sort of like controversial inflammatory statement on social media could gain steam and you want to get ahead of that. So what should you do? You should start creating or at least prioritizing content that shows or verifies the credibility of the, of the fabric and all the quality of the materials that you use in your stuff anyway. So you're addressing it, but in an indirect way that is proactive and, and, and prioritizing messages in a different way. That like, so that in, in my head is like a reasonable balance. Like, Oh, it's obvious that already the shirt co- this made up shirt company like prioritizes or thinks it's important about what materials they use in all their products. That's what's being attacked. That's not necessarily so far outside of the realm of what you should be communicating. We're just saying maybe prioritize that a little bit more now. So that's 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 the balance because you don't want to throw an entire company in a completely new direction just because one thing is bad thing is happening. Although again, depending on how large that crisis is. Yes. I like that answer too, of thinking that brings up even how do you manage when, so I know in the day of Glassdoor or LinkedIn, where people are able to write reviews of your organization, that can be something that I guess, from my perspective, I see so many more people using that as a starting point of whether or not they want to invest in your culture. And so to some extent, if you're not addressing it, then you may be leaving stuff on the table that could be creating the wrong picture. But we're going to dive in. Like, I don't know if you have any comments on how organizations even address that because it is, how do you determine like, okay, this is one disgruntled employee versus what's the impact that this is going to have? And, you know, and how well are people going to be able to deduce that there could be something missing, right? That 
you know, that employee could have done X, Y, Z. And then they wrote that comment, like, you don't necessarily want to own that. That's all on them. But how do you even decide in this age where employees can write those reviews? Like, how do you even decide how to address that? Because typically yeah, they go there negatively. They're not like, well, I just want to let everyone know I love this organization. Typically when yeah. you have that, they're not necessarily going there to share the love. So a really good point. And this is where crisis, crisis work should begin. It's way before you have that disgruntled employee on Glassdoor having one of five reviews that's a, like a zero star or whatever it is, right? Like, Because at that point, whether you like it or not, it matters. Because if you have no other, I mean, I know I have multiple examples of clients that I've worked for either through GCM or back in my previous lives where they've come to us saying, we had one bad issue come up five years ago, but it's the only thing people can find online about us. And we've, we're losing contracts because of it. Or we can't hire because the only two reviews on Glassdoor that are about us are bad. Like, then like whether or not you want to believe like it, those negative reviews have an insane impact because it is the only thing out there. So the way that proactive communications can help that is if you start making sure that there are positive, truthful stories out there, whether it's reviews, whether it's news coverage, whether it's your own content, whether it's video, there's already stuff out there. So not if, but when the negative stuff comes, it is among, ideally, a sea of positive stuff or at least neutral stuff. Because by the time you get to one out of like five or two out of 10 reviews are really bad, or one out of like 10 news stories are really bad, you can't, the the decision is made. It matters. It's impacting your business. Um, Because I mean, think about all the times you've heard about it, but think about all the times you haven't heard. Someone's searched you, they see that, and then they they go somewhere else. So um, if you're not actively producing, you are producing positive stories and content, you're leaving yourself extremely vulnerable to be at the whims of a disgruntled employee or of one bad thing truly happening, which will happen because we're human and we make mistakes. Yeah. And I like that even from a leadership perspective, that if you're not holding yourself accountable to matching your words and actions, or if you're not showing up in a way that's productive, right? If you're not owning it, taking responsibility for that misstep, then that is the same thing, whether it's glass door externally, that's also happening inside of saying, do I really want to listen to Jen? She seems to do this. So you lose your influence, you lose your trust. And then all of a sudden they might be like, I don't even want to work with Jen and they might leave. And so, you know, I, I want to just keep bringing it back to that because people might think, oh, again, this is, you know, not necessarily something that has to deal with me, but as leaders, it does, even if oh, you're yeah. directly related to the communications, because these little things, these are happening in also smaller scale ways, just within your team or department. So let's let's dive into it now, Zach. Like, how do you even start to recover from that mistake or that past misstep? You know, whatever is kind of haunting you, where do you start? Yeah, so it's a good question. So there's, I think there's two different things that, 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 that kind of go together. So on one hand, you have your very well-tested, fundamental block and tackle crisis communications template of like, if there's a crisis and something goes wrong, these are the three steps you take. On the other hand, there's this whole idea of, well, who is your business? And who are you really as an organization? Or who are you really as a leader? And if you can understand that, 
that three-step process that is tried and true becomes way more clear and effective than if you don't know. And now you're like employing tactics that are based on a very shaky, if, if, if any foundation. Um, so I do. Th- so, so if we just assume that people have a good understanding of who they are, what their values are, what their principles are, and we can talk about how we can get to that in a second, but let me just give like the really tried and true crisis comms, like three-step program, basically. So you've done, so crisis happens, you've made a mistake. Now let's say in this scenario, the mistake is true. You actually did make a mistake. You forgot to pay your taxes uh, on the new extension on your house, or you said something really inappropriate to somebody, or you made whatever. There's three things you do. One, you admit and own the mistake. Like, don't admit and own things that you didn't do that you're not responsible for, but as much as you possibly can admit and own the mistake. The second thing you do is you talk about what action or actions have you or are you taking to fix that mistake. Those specific things, you need to say what's being done to either have already fixed it or to fix it. And then number three, people want to know, okay, fine, but what about the future? Now you have to talk about what things you're doing in addition to what you've already done that will prevent something like this from happening again in the future. And and the problem with this is that you don't have this understanding. First of all, like if you're not genuine and like you're not actually doing things to fix it, like don't fix it. Just own it and be like, yeah, this is a mistake, and I'm gonna keep making this mistake. Like just 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 say that. But if you're somebody who actually like wants to fix it. You need to really understand who you are and what you actually want to fix because the problem that we see happening all the time is they take that very tried and true template, which I'm sure you could Google and find, and they just like put it over a shaky foundation and a lack of understanding of who you are as an organization or who you are as a leader. And it comes and it rings completely untrue, or you're actually saying things that are disingenuous to to what you actually mean and what you actually want to correct. And you're doing, you could be doing one or two, one of two things. One, you could be making the people who are upset already more upset. Or two, you could be betraying your own identity and making the people who weren't upset actually about this crisis. Now they're upset because you've betrayed them. So, so it's really important to have a solid understanding uh, of your identity before you get into a crisis. So you can put together a good plan. Yeah. And I think it's that you have to own it to control it. Who are you as a leader? Who are you as a team? Who are you as an organization? And are you in alignment with that? And it's starting with owning it. And I think you you hit the nail on the head because how can you confidently even communicate something if you don't know who you are? If you are a leader, for example, that wants to lead maybe a little bit more you know, do as I say, not as I do, then apologizing for not being inclusive might actually feel really awkward because the people might be like, why would you do that? That's not, we know you're not that. And so I like that example because a lot of times people just, and this is a challenge with, with everything, right? We try to be everything to everyone. And if we don't know who we are, then we absolutely could be either alienating the people that love us or bringing them on. And, you know, bringing new people that may not enjoy us on. And so I really appreciate you talking about, you have to know who you are to be able to know what you're going to stand for, what you're going to fall for and how you're going to manage it. And you had said, you have to own it. Then you have to describe what you're doing. I have a feeling, I actually would be more curious, what part of the process do you think people miss more? Is it that they don't know who they are? Or is it that they just think that, well, I know who I am, but I don't have to explain to you what I'm going to do. Like, where where do you think people fail in that process? So I think there's two, I find two things that happen. One, 
people aren't willing to admit their mistakes. <laughs> so people have a really hard time of actually owning where they faltered. Um, because they have, they've been told that they have this idea that they have to show strength, which means never being wrong. But actually, we know, and I think there's an increasing appreciation from the market of vulnerability actually being a true sign of strength. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Jay-Z talking about it at his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame acceptance speech over the weekend. I think that's what he was talking about, too, is how like, he's come to realize that being vulnerable, because his I can get into rap, you know, tangents all day long, but his, his 444 album where he was really open and honest and vulnerable, um, people see as his strongest album, is it as like the most he's ever shown strength. And there is this, I bring it up because this is even in popcorn, like, there's this like, big, there's this larger appreciation for being vulnerable, but I think people were once told that being vulnerable shows his weakness. So people don't want to admit a mistake. They don't want to say, no, I guess this was wrong. I could have done something better. They don't want to say that. So that's, that's one. But then there's the people who think that they should be admitting for it, like saying sorry for everything. And that they're going to do like to your point about like, I'm going to try to be way more inclusive, even though like in my in my like management style or in, in my leadership style, I'm like, get in line or get off. Yeah. And now if I'm if 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 someone's been unhappy about that, and now I'm apologizing for who I am. And now saying, oh, and in the future, I'm going to way, be way more inclusive. What about all the people who are in line and they're ready to stay on for a long time? Now they're looking up saying, but this is why we love you. This is why we're here. And now you're telling me that, that you're not going to do this anymore. So I think the, it's like the two, the two swings of the pendulum. It's like people aren't willing to actually have any ownership or they try to own way too much that's beyond their control. It has nothing to do with who they are <laughs> and make amends for things that like shouldn't be made amends for, like whoever you are. The, the, the one example I think illustrates it's really beautifully is I think they've fallen a bit from like consumer grace, but it was Southwest Airlines for like years was the not, like top 10 brands, like most liked brands in America, which is the most unbelievable feat an airline company can do. Like nobody likes flying. Nobody likes flying. The, 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 the planes are so small. You can't you never even get your, your bag in the overhead check. Like, there's increasing turbulence. Like nobody likes flying. And yet Southwest was somehow one of the top 10 most loved brands in America for like years in a row. I don't think they are anymore. But during this time, they had, they had decided that they were going to bring light into traveling because it's about having a good time. And like, and really travel is like, no one's like on a plane. Well, most people don't go on a plane to go somewhere that they hate being. Like, they don't, like you're on vacation, you're going to visit family. Like, there's always some... So they wanted to be a part of this like, experience. Like, we're bringing you to your family. Like, let's have fun. And so during the safety demonstration, they were making light about it. They were making jokes and, and all of this. And, and I remember, I remember it happening and being like, I'm actually paying attention to this stuff, you know? Like, and they got a letter from this lady who had, a, had like a son or like a child on the plane or something like that. And they got a letter that went to the CEO and the CEO actually saw it. And it said, basically, like, I don't appreciate you making light. It was a very serious thing. Like, I'm a nervous flyer. My child's protection should come first. I wish you and your organization would take, you know, safety on airlines more seriously. Something to that effect. And the CEO actually responded with four words. We will miss you. He wasn't going to apologize to her. He wasn't going to say, this is not who we are. Because he understood who they were as an organization. And he wasn't being mean. He said, we'll miss you. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, what he's communicating. I'm sorry this isn't working out for you. But we can't betray who we are and what we're trying to do for people. 
because you're not happy with us. And it's to your point, Jen, about like not trying to be everything for everybody. And like, that, that is the real key, whether you're a leader, like a CEO at that time, or you're an organization, it's like, like that could have been a crisis. I mean, imagine if they handled that wrong and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, we'll take it more seriously. Now all the people like me who was enjoying, and I, by the way, I used to be a very nervous guy, who was enjoying that levity to break up the tenseness in the, in that I felt. And now I'm going to be like, what the heck? You're betraying me right. now. Um, and so it was strong and they kept their standing as a lovely brand for a long time after that. I just think that's a powerful example of why you can't, and even bringing it back to leadership, like you cannot be everything to everyone. And that's why you have to know who you are, because as much as I even wish that every single person like listening to this podcast is like, wow, this is such a great thing. They're not right. That's the reality. Like I want that, of course, but I can't also be everything to everyone. And there's the next person that can do that. And like, that's okay. Because I think in terms of, you know, bringing it back to human connection, the more that we try to pretend that we're everyone to, or, you know, everything to everyone, the lack of real connection, you know, there, there's nothing that to go off of because I'm just like making myself a mold of whatever you want to see. And then how do you even build trust? Because you're not being consistent or someone might think, oh, Jen, like, you know, for me, most people probably know I like to joke around a lot. I'm not probably your traditional, um, I don't know, I would call myself maybe a corporate misfit because I just didn't get the roles as well. Like, I can't pretend that I'm that anymore. I can't pretend that like I was that in as much as I wish I could be I don't know, someone that looks like they have it all together, someone that withholds X, Y, Z. It's not like, that's just who I am. I will totally fall walking up a set of stairs. I will do X, Y, Z. Like, that's who I am. I can't even pretend that I'm much more put together, like, you know, in that perfect package, right? That sometimes people try to portray um, because it's just, it's too hard and it's, it's not true. I will sometimes like, you know, I I could give funnier examples like sweat on stage because I wore something too heavy or like do whatever, you know, and that's just who I am. Like, I can't pretend that I'm always going to be some level of perfect that everyone's going to love. I can also be a human and then people can find more of that relatability. Crestown is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. Let's talk about how do you build the solid foundation? Like, how do you start to really know who you are? I know that's one of the things that we talked about in the call was you gave the example of a house. So how can you start to find out who you, you are as an organization, a team, or a leader? Yeah. Um, and, and just to your, just one quick point about, you know, you being true to who you are. I think I think you can't be everything to everybody. But I also think by you being authentic the way that you are, you're actually providing a service to people because you're allowing them to make a, a choice. 
about you and about what you do. So like by being who you are in this podcast, you're allowing people to make a quick and real choice about, is this podcast for me or not? Is Jen for me or not? Is Zach for me or not? Like that's a service to people because we're all very busy and we all try to be tricked and getting networked on and all that stuff. So just give <laughs> me, right? Like give, I would have used the heck out of that. Like just give me the, the option to make a choice. Just, just like, that's all I want. Like I'm a human being, respect me, give me the option to make a choice. And by you being as authentic as you are, and it's something that I try to be. And I, I think like quite honestly, like my biggest struggle is trying to be too many things to too many people. Um, something I'm really working on. But I, I know that it's worth working on because that is like the ultimate service to other people is like allowing them to make a choice. And, and not only that, I mean, what we're going to talk about now is like you're, you're building this foundation that you can alter, you can pivot, you can respond from a crisis because your foundation is set and, 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 and you know who you are. Um, so I just wanted to bring that point up before we get into the thing. I think it's amazing. I think, I think everybody should aspire to be that way. Well, and I think, you know, I know we went off tangent, but that is something I will say, even with in the world of coaching, I'm like finding a coach. This is what I always say, because I, I am not a seller. I'm just not, that's just not my jam in terms of deliberately selling to people. Because I think when you are trying to network on someone, then you're not giving them choice. You're kind of trying to push them into a corner of saying, pick me or, you know, pick me. Yes. And so I think one of the expressions I like to say is like finding a coach is like finding a pair of jeans. You have to try on a few to fi- help or to find the one that's going to help you best flaunt your assets. Like I'm not right. going to give you a hard yeah. style because coaching itself as a service is very intimate. There's a lot of trust that needs to be there. And I, if you can't connect in that way, that's okay. There is absolutely someone else there that you are going to connect with but I never want to become, and this is my other closing phrase. I'm like, I never want to be your gym membership. You have got to choose me. I am not this person that's right. like really great. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, let's sign up. Do I get all the rewards? No, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you always have choice, but you have to work on it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just, I love talking with you in this perspective in the world where there is so much of a brand and that content heavy, like push experience that I think is still you know, has a lot of room of opportunity of how do we actually give people choice instead of kind of like forcing them into a corner to either like us, you know, maybe the choice is like us or hate us, but to feel like the only option is to like you. And if they don't like you, how much money are you going to spend trying to make one person like you or the next person like you and you don't know who you are? And that's, sorry, that was my tangent response to yours. (laughs) But, you know, I, I, I honestly, like, I feel like We've just been told for so long and conditioned to think that we have to sell our products and services, that that's what people buy. But I know that that's not the case. And it sounds like you know that too. Like, it's like you walk into a thing, hey, what do you do? Or what's your mission statement? What's your elevator pitch? It's like, what I do in my mission statement, like, that's important. But like, if you only know that, you know nothing. You know nothing that you need to know to make a real decision, particularly with like coaching, where like we talk about like this trust and like us, you know, we have large clients in long contracts. Like we don't, like we're not selling, you know, uh, a coffee mug, right? And even, but even that this applies. But like we, are, we're not doing a quick transaction. We're, 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 we're talking about is building like long, sustainable, trustworthy relationship that like is truly like better than the sum of its parts. And that requires trust. That requires understanding who, like who each other are. But like, you still walk into all these things and like, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, this is not. We're not gonna. We're not gonna accomplish it. Like, you know. And now, like, I've I've gotten. You know, I, I'm at least now comfortable enough to the point where like, I just take the conversation in a whole different direction. If they want to stick around, then great. 
they, but if they don't like great, good for you. Like again, try to give them that choice. Um, but you know, going back to this foundation, like, so your, your identity as an organization or as a leader, like that is your foundation it is not to say, like, if you think about a house, your foundation doesn't change. Like your foundation is very, very strong. It's built solid. And on top of your foundation, you can build your house. But once you build your house, you can renovate it. You can add on to it. You can change the rooms. You can change the floors. You can do all that stuff because you have a solid foundation. Like, sure, it's going to take time and effort to make those changes. And you should do it in a way that is like smart and logical and makes sense for the whole thing. But like your foundation is solid. So like you can do that. Rather, if you have a rocky foundation, every time you try to make a change on your house, like you need to also service that foundation. And now you're not like now you're in trouble and you're spending a lot more time, and a lot more effort trying to make any type of alteration or change. Now, how about a crisis? You have your foundation and the storm comes, knocks your house down. Well, your foundation is still there. So you just rebuild back on top of your foundation because your foundation doesn't change. Your house does the look of it, maybe, but your foundation doesn't. And that's how we think about your identity as the foundation of your organization, as a foundation of you as a leader. Um, but how do you understand what your what your identity is? And so I talked a little bit about we're hardwired because of years of like this thing and like what's your why and all this stuff. Like it all sounds good, but like it's not real. And we're hardwired to, to talk and behave in this way. And so when we do these workshops with organizations or with, or, or, or with the thought leaders and we'll help create platforms and stuff for them, we have to like actively intervene in their brain with an exercise to separate their identity from what they do. Because we do want to build what they do back on top of their identity, but to understand who you are, that needs to be separated. So here's something that like, like anybody can do. So if you're, if you're an organization or if you are, you're, you are not an organization, but if you are one person within an organization um, or if you're a leader, you have to imagine yourself, flip the switch. You need to imagine yourself as in a completely different profession or if you're an organization in a completely different industry. So for instance, um, if, if, if we were doing this with a like t-shirt producer, they make, they make t-shirts, really cool t-shirts, whatever. We would now make them like a psych psychiatrist or like a counseling center, like something completely like, so we put the switch. Now this is what you do. This is who you are. You need to tell me why would anybody come and, and want to work with you, buy from you, trust you. Why would I made a shirt? <laughs> like just, right. So it's, see, but that's what, so that's the perfect, perfect response because like that's, so like, so we, I mean, we literally just a couple of weeks ago, we did this with this like consulting company and we made them a bake shop. So you're a bakery now. And, and at first they were like, they're like, no, flip the switch. And they started saying about what that's like, no, 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 you're now a bake shop. Why, why are anybody going to come in? And they started talking about how they would reinvent the chocolate chip cookie. That and and how they would like take, you know, they, they would they would rather than somebody walking and be like, I want a chocolate chip cookie, they would say, But do you tell me what you are seeking from this chocolate chip cookie? And they would they got to this whole thing and they're like, So what we would rather do is get to know this person and what they truly want or what they're after, and then design a cookie. Now it might be a chocolate chip cookie, but we're gonna design a cookie that is going to exceed what they ever thought they were gonna get when they walked into this big shop. And I was like, There it is. 
That's your identity. That's who you are. That has nothing to do with your profession or anything you do. So they were talking about relationship. They're talking about trust. They're talking about like being innovative, reinventing things, like also not accepting the status quo. Like that's who they are as an organization. When I, when I'm on like pitch calls or like getting to know people, I said like, we, if we were a landscaping company, we'd be the same company. We would just be cutting your lawn. Like everything about us would be the same. We would just be providing a different service. And, and it's, it's a, again, it's a way to intentionally intervene in the hard wiring to separate who we are from what our actions are. Yes. And I love, I, you know, I think that's a great example of an exercise that you could do is see yourself in a different perspective. What are you trying to achieve? You know, that connection, if I think about the cookie shop, you know, I think about replicating this nostalgia or this experience of love and support. Like, I feel like I'm safe when I'm there, right? It's just from the, maybe the aromas or just the conversations and how people see me and greet me when I walk in. I love that it's getting people to really think at a much more meaningful level. Obviously that's your goal. We're forging human connections, but too many people, I think, forget about the human connection piece. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're just like, what do you mean? They don't like this. They can't see all the great ways. You haven't given me an opportunity to even embrace or interact with it, to yeah. actually see how I could like it and why I would want it. But that's an amazing point about what your big shop would be like. It would be, you know, it, it, or what someone's could be. It could be about comfort. It could be had nothing to do with actually with the cookies or the muffins or whatever. It could just be about the experience, the feeling of relaxation. Boom. There you are. That's who you are. Right. Like, that, that will lead you, not what is your mission statement, what is your elevator pitch. I mean, like, I get the function of an elevator pitch. Like, I get it. Like, you, it is forcing you to nail down the core of your service and why you think it benefits somebody else. Like, that is an extremely useful exercise. But it should not be in place of understanding who you are and that human connection. Like, that is only like well down the road, even your purpose, people are like, well, what should we do about this? What should we say about that? It's like, well, does this have anything to do with who you are as an organization or as a leader? Oh, it does. Well, how does it do that? Well, then that's what you say. Not like purpose finding where it's like, well, we need to have a purpose. Everybody's got one. I need to have one. Like, and so what's trending right now? Like, and you'll get in trouble. You'll get in trouble by doing that. I think it's, you know, the elevator pitch is important too. Again, going back to the brand, because I think there are, we all know that we're in a networking situation or maybe um, just meeting new coworkers for the first time. And we can tell when someone is just giving us their pitch versus actually like whether or not they care about us. And there are a lot of people that have spent a lot of time maybe crafting these compelling elevator pitches. And so then I I know I've sat in networking meetings like, oh, mine doesn't sound like that. Absolutely not. Uh, Because I just haven't, you know, thought about it in that way. And I also still feel uncomfortable with like that, just that pushing, like, I want you to see me in this like aspirational amazing light, right? Because I think there's a level of when it's so rehearsed, you miss the fact of like, we're humans and no one really cares about how pretty you've said that. I feel like it's more of that billboard that you'll forget about when you drive by. You're like, oh, that was a really cool billboard, but like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to buy the service, but that was cool when I saw it. (laughs) Yeah. I 100% 100 agree with that. Like somebody not too long ago asked me what, like they literally said the words, what is your, what is your elevator pitch? Like, I don't have one. I don't have one. So, and I, I'm not, I'm not going, like, I just don't have, I'm, like, this is not something that I work, we're, we're, our, 
a communications agency yeah. and we do not have, like we purposely do not have an elevator pitch yeah and we have great and we have great clients and we're growing and everything's working out well like we don't have an elevator pitch it's a, i've never i've never heard of a good organization or a good leader not getting where they want to be because they don't have a strong elevator pitch again there's function for an elevator like it is a yeah. wonderful tool to help you like simplify yep what you're doing because i also believe like the more you define something, the less you actually define it, right? Like, so that you need to actually be poignant with your language and like say what you mean. So I, I, I like that function, but it, it, it should not be misunderstood as like that is any representation of who I am or what my business is, that elevator, but it's, it's just not. Yeah. And I think it's important. It's important distinction. And yeah, there's absolutely a place and a need for elevator pitches that I feel like it does so much more for us as an individual to step into our value and see what we're trying to accomplish. But, you know, the more that we make it again about us, the less that we might be actually yeah. seeing that person. So one last thing that I want to talk about, because I know that we're going to over, but like, how do you rebuild trust when it's broken? So like one important thing mm. you had said is that we have to obviously know like our values, who we are, what makes us tick. What if we do it wrong, Zach? What happens? Like, how do we rebuild it once it's broken? I know you gave us the three steps. Like, would that be kind of the the prescription? Is like you have to first like own it, talk about what you're going to do now, and then talk about how you're going to move forward into the future. Or is there something else you would add to that too? So I think I think that that like I said before, I think those things are like that's the technique, but the the underlying foundation really should be a strong understanding of like who you are. So it's like, not even like I lied. So something simple, like I lied to you and I've lost your trust and now I want to rebuild it with you. I need to understand a little bit deeper. Like I can just go to you and say, like, I'm sorry. I lied. I am going to double check what I say before I say it to make sure it's not a lie. And going forward, I'm going to go with a counseling. So I stop lying so much. Like, if I said it to you, you'd be like, okay, like, you know, like, nothing, like it has to be way more meaningful than that. Like I would have to say to you, like, look, this is, I, I messed up. Like, this is why I lied. This is what I was trying to get at. This is why I know it impacted you more than perhaps another lie. Like you have to like, that's the human, like that, that's like an understanding of who I am. Like that's trying to get to it a little bit more deeply. But so I'll just say like, like too quickly, because there are people right now who, 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 or in that situation, and, and, and we all get in these situations. If you have built, whether you're an organization or a leader, if you've built meaningful relationships based on human connection and your identity, you will have a lot more for, forgiving in your world, in your network that matters, than you will if you've only ever had a transactional-based relationship. So if like you're if you're just transaction-based, like there's, there will be very little forgiveness. But if you're if you're on the human level, like you said, like and you get to know the person, you get to trust the person. When you're way, like I, I can think of mistakes and to like the people that I think are the most important in the world that I've lost their trust or that I've, I've not lost their trust, but I've like disobeyed oh it. Whatever I can it think is. of like, like even here. as a human being, I know that in my twenties, I had what I would call not nice responses. I was a high overachiever, somehow expected that everyone would perform in the certain way that I did it. Like I'll put it yeah. that way. There are other leaders like that. Like if you do that and you are not kind in your communications, you're condescending, right? That's one that we can all relate to. Like, yeah. what do you do when you're condescending and you can sense that people are like, oh. you know, that's, I'll yeah. give you that example. Cause I've been that person. I, I hope that I'm not today. I hope that people could say that because I try really hard to see that person, but I know that I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's a real thing, but like 
these people know me as a human. Like they know, they know me and they're willing to, they were willing to forgive it. I mean, if I think about like, so like our, so we had this, one of our bigger clients, like we, we, we love them. And I, I think that they really appreciate us as humans. Like we, we got to the point we talked to them about life. Like, you know, we're not, it's just, it's not transaction based. We do certainly do transactions, but like, it's not what our relationship is based on. And last, last month we had a really big deliverable that I had only found out, and this is partly my fault. I mismanaged it. The day before that we were going to be able to deliver it, the day that we were supposed to deliver it. I mean, this is massive, like high, high thing. And they forgave us almost immediately. And we're like, okay, this isn't great, but like this new date works for us. And I told them why. I said, this is what the mistake was. This is what we're doing. I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen again because this is what we're bringing in and blah, blah, blah. And it was all real and genuine. I own what the mistake was. And they almost immediately like forgave us and they appreciated it because we already have that relationship with them. They already know us for who we are. Now, that's some, some people might be saying, well, okay, well, I have never operated in an identity-based organization or I never operated as an identity-based leader before. What do I do? Well, something that I've learned in counseling, which is a really wonderful like, like superpower tool, is there will always be situations where we do not act the way we wish we did. But that doesn't mean going forward that that is the only way we will ever act again. And so there's no time except now for you to decide that I need to understand who I am so I can better operate in situations the way that I want to. Understanding that I will make a mistake one time or another. But I need to start setting this foundation so that when this happens again, I'm in a much better position than I am right now. Oh my gosh. And I think the lesson that I even hear from that from leaders, like, when you can practice vulnerability, when you can own your mistakes, when you can also share what you're doing, people are so much more flexible with allowing you to be human because you're also saying, I make mistakes. So then you're telling yeah. them, I know that you will, you're a human being as well, but this is how I want you to show up when we make a mistake so yes. that we can figure out what to do. And I think there's so much power there because people might be guided by like, well, what happens if I make a mistake? Oh my gosh, I don't want to make a mistake. You know, a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome being found out. Own it. Like that's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's so simple. If you want to rebuild trust, if you want to do that, show them that you're human, especially if you're a leader, like the less that you can express that side, or you pretend that you don't make these mistakes, the more that people are like, I don't want to work here. Cause I feel like I have to burn the midnight oil just to try and be perfect. And it's not sustainable. So I'm burnt out or two, like, I don't know if I trust that you support me as just an individual that is has flaws, will make mistakes, right? Yeah. We're breathing, which means that we're we're going to make a misstep somehow. And even though we'll try so hard, but all you have to do is own it. Just own it. I mean, so yeah. many times I like, and then it becomes comical when a leader doesn't own it. I feel like that then goes into the meeting after the meeting where they're like, yeah, did you see how they didn't actually own that at all? That was really yeah. awkward because we all know what's going on, but then they didn't own it. Yeah. And again, it just kind of becomes a, well, what do we do with that then? <laughs> yep. It's really like, it's really like the truest thing. It's like the truest advice you could ever give someone is what you just said. Oh my God. Like it's just, it's just oh, oh, own, like own who you are, own it. And, 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 and piggybacking on that, it's like, it's so easy to lead people when things are going well. And it's really easy to lead people when things are going well for you personally. It's easy. You're like a superstar. You're a rock star. I'm, I'm the boss, blah, blah, blah. 
But the best moments for leadership and learning are, are the challenges. Like it's so cliche, but like there's so much more to be learned in failure than there is in in success. And to your point, it is really a strong example of showing people how to behave and how to show up or how to respond. The time that is the hardest to show up and respond. And you like there's no more valuable lesson you can teach somebody than that. Oh my gosh, Zach, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I know I want to ask the final question, which is how can they get in touch with you? But before I do that, do you feel like there's anything else that maybe I missed in terms or you wanted to share about managing a crisis? Um, no, I think we covered it. I also shudder because I feel like we could go on and on and I've really enjoyed the conversation. I love where you take the conversation. I really think you have such an interesting insight and curiosity about these topics. And I I love talking about this stuff, but there's not enough people out there who see the world the way you see it. And so I really appreciate the conversation. I think, I think you've kind of nailed it. You put a fine point on it, like own it, fix it, fix what you should be fixing. Don't fix what you shouldn't be. Apologize for what you should be apologizing. Do not apologize because you think it's the right thing to do and you don't feel it in your heart. And if you haven't, if you haven't operated on your identity now, like just start now because three months down the road, you'll be in a lot better situation. Yes. Zach, I right back at you. I've loved our conversation, loved our pre-call. And I just love what you're doing to help people, again, have more of those human-centered connections, the work with GCM. I think it's so important. And I guess I just see that in a world where we want to be seen and heard more than ever. It's just so important that we forge those genuine connections. Zach, how do people get in touch with GCM? How can they connect with you? Yeah, I appreciate that. So it's whoisgcm.com. We're constantly asking ourselves, who are we? We we don't want to forget that that's the most important thing. So our website, whoisgcm.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. It's like, I think it's like LinkedIn forward slash Zach Giglio PR. I'm quite responsive, particularly if you're reaching out saying like, hey, just want to get to know you, want to learn a little bit about you, uh, you will get a response from me. My gosh, I love that. Zach, thank you so much for just taking your time to sit down with me today to share with our audience how they can recover from a crisis. I've really, I genuinely have loved our conversation and I, I truly hope people have found value or at least maybe a permission to just show up a little bit more authentically. Thank you so much for being yeah. on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation with Zach or you know someone that could benefit from how to recover from a crisis, share this podcast episode with them. You can find him at whoisgcm.com and you can also connect with him on LinkedIn. If you're looking to develop your leadership skills or you want your team to up that level, reach out to us. Head on over to crestcom.com. There you can sign up for a two-hour complimentary leadership skills workshop. We will come in and help you and your team come together to produce great results.